It doesn't have to be something that's relatively major uh, as far as your behavioral changes. It's not like I went to church yesterday and today I'm going to murder somebody or, you know, I'm going to burn a building down to collect insurance money. It doesn't have to be something huge like that. It can be behavioral, but it can also be just how you feel in general. And some examples of that could be extreme pride. I'm the greatest. Things are going well because of me, what I've done. I'm in complete control of my life. Maybe another example is your immorality. Unchecked lust or other corruption. Harmful conversation is another big one. It can be thinking or doing. Uh, Maybe your Christianity is routinized. Um, That is, maybe you don't feel like attending church or it's just a routine. Um, We think of the Lord's Supper sometimes in this regard. If you're just eating a cracker or just drinking juice and not really thinking about it, your Christianity has become routinized. There's a problem there. Um, Becoming stagnant or complacent is dangerous. Uh, They say the world is like a machine shop, so if you become complacent, you might lose a finger. I've been told that. It's true. Uh, Maybe discrimination. Maybe uh, that's a behavior or just a feeling based on a person's background or maybe even their actions or beliefs. Um, And not praying could be another one. And that's just a lack of communication or feeling disconnected from God. So these are some examples of backsliding. There's many more. Um, When you backslide, your communion with Christ wanes, your faith uh, definitely weakens, and you can face consequences. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring up today, are maybe some of those causes of backsliding, um, some examples of it, consequences of it, and what we can do to solve that problem or even recover so this is where I'm going to need your help. So this, is, this is on you now. Um, I want to know, I don't want to know, you need to know, how are you backsliding now? And when I thought of that the first time, I could come up with several examples for myself. Um, if you can't, maybe you can think of times that you have backslidden. What are the symptoms um, of when you do backslide? And even ask yourself, do you even know if you are backsliding? Um, this topic was inspired maybe a few weeks ago. James was actually leading the table, and he was talking about when prayer life suffers a little bit, how it's a compounding effect. And, uh, and I noticed that even with myself, so I kind of went ahead with this topic um, as it is important to me right now. So I want to look at a couple causes of backsliding first before we get into um, some of the other examples. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, Matthew 12, 35 says, The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, literally good things. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil, literally bad things. Uh, People are going to try to have the appearance of a pure heart, but the fruit that they bear uh, will speak volumes. And it usually does come out. Uh, For example, have you ever noticed, or worse yet, have gotten called out on maybe endorsing a particular negative subject or maybe even a slip-up in conversation? Um... Has anybody ever said, you know, dude, what you just said was really messed up. Aren't you a Christian? Or, yeah, I hate that guy. I wish he would die too. Wait, don't you go to church? Or if anybody's afraid of this one, this is, this is bad. This is when we know there's a problem. Have you accidentally, have you ever accidentally cursed in front of somebody from the church? Right? Might have been there. Um, that last one is usually a showstopper. Um, drop the mic, a little feedback sound in the, in the speaker. Um, but if you do that in the world, like, nobody really cares. It doesn't seem to bother anybody. Unless they're around a religious figure. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe Michael or Wes have noticed that. I've seen that with other people. Uh, people can curse left and right. The second they find out you're a preacher 
all of a sudden they're like, oh, sorry. No? Right? Whether they themselves are religious or not, it's, it's, it's a problem. But even if we don't slip up, even if we appear completely righteous on the outside, God is not fooled. Matthew 5, verse 8 says, Bless the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalm 51, 6 says, Behold, you desire the truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. God demands purity on the inside, and if we achieve this, we don't have to worry about what we say or do out in the world. We've got good habits. All right, so the first cause is really an impure heart, your habits and your associations. Sometimes we really need to think about that and be careful. Let's consider Simon the Sorcerer, for example. Simon the Sorcerer, for example, from Acts chapter 8. Uh, he was a baptized believer, if you recall the story, who was excited about um, you know, seeing people receive the Holy Spirit when the apostles laid their hands on him. He thought, this is awesome. I, I want in on the action. What can I do to get you know, this, this gift? It seemed pretty innocent. Um, let's actually read about uh, what went down. In uh, Acts chapter 8, I'll start in verse 18 here. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. So it's the heart. Simon backslid from his misguided intentions and probably didn't even know it until Peter called him out. Are our conversations and maybe our habitual associations also a product of misguided intentions if we remain silent? What I mean by that is maybe a conversation is happening at work. Maybe you're leading this conversation and it's not good. Right? Maybe you're not leading this conversation. Maybe you're just standing by quietly. You know, you're trying to maintain a good relationship with colleagues. You're not getting involved, but you're there. Are those misguided intentions? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So apparently we might be putting ourselves in a position to backslide if we haven't done so already. Um, let's consider what happened to Solomon, speaking of company, in 1 Kings chapter 11. Uh, he was the wisest person in the world. And one of his favorite things in life was women. He had like a thousand women, combined wives and concubines, which when you think about it is pretty crazy, actually. And even though he was the wisest man in the world, you know, some of them turned his heart to other false gods uh, to the point where he built altars of incense and practiced idolatry. Now we're not talking about consequences yet, but he, his family, lost the kingdom as a result. So it is serious. So the first cause, the impure heart. Another cause, attacks on your weaknesses or your awareness or lack thereof of the schemes of the world. You are going to be attacked by Satan and others when you are weakest or where you are weakest and most likely to fail. That's just how it's going to be. The first half of Matthew 4 details Jesus being tempted. And when you think about it, he was offered the world in that temptation. That means there's really no limit. Right? That's, that's huge. So that's a dangerous situation. Satan has been around for a long time. He's been around a lot longer than we have. He knows what works when it comes to temptation. He probably knows what works within us better than we know ourselves, which is a very dangerous thing. Those who 
were or are drinkers are going to be tempted by a drink. Those who have a wandering eye will be tempted by lust. Those who are impatient, like me, will end up on the Garden State Parkway. Those who are impulsive... Those who are impulsive are going to be presented with the opportunity of a lifetime, and it's only going to happen this one time. You're starving and having a bad day. Satan is going to make sure that your car breaks down when it's zero degrees outside. You're hungry, and the the only open establishment is going to be a dive bar, where the bartender... A good-looking woman who's very interested in you notices your ring and thinks that it's just a sign of safety, and all they serve on the menu are carbohydrates, high-glycemic ones. That is what Satan will do to you. It's deadly. We need to be aware of these tactics and always be on guard. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 14 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So our heart and our personal weaknesses can be some of the causes of backsliding, But why should we even bother focusing on or addressing them? Let's consider some of the consequences of backsliding. But before we do, let's further frame some examples of it um, from the Bible. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time in Luke chapter 15 here. Some parables. So we're going to look at some types of backsliders here. In Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus is going to frame the first type of a backslider through um, the lost sheep analogy. So we're going to start... Right there in verse 1 of Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. How did the sheep get lost? Did it have a poor relationship with the shepherd? Did it get sick and tired of doing what the shepherd wanted? Maybe it saw something interesting out there and impulsively ran to it. Do we have a weak relationship with God, and find the world more interesting. Another point is that the, or another idea here is that the lost sheep didn't really seem to have a great relationship with the flock. Does our lack of fellowship with our brethren, brethren cause us to stray into undesirable territory? Something to consider. Let's look at some consequences of the lost sheep. There are predators in the world that could harm us. And if we get too far gone... How can we reconnect with the shepherd? He wants to find us, according to this passage, but if we stray too far, he won't be able to. It's going to be a two-way street there, and we're lucky that it's a two-way street in that regard. And then another consideration. What if another sheep follows us? Romans 14 says, do not cause a brother to stumble. Or you might remember Matthew 18.6, anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble are better off with a millstone attached to their neck and drowned in the sea. 
Oftentimes we don't think of those who might follow. Another example, continuing in chapter 15, verse 8 now. What woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Maybe like the rest of the flock in the previous example, we are those coins. Or maybe we're the woman in the example who became careless, backslid, and allowed one of her own to fall away. If we're not focused on celebrating the return of the coin to the level that God is, then clearly our hearts aren't right, which was the cause of backslide. Some consequences there. If we backslide in this regard, we could cause the backsliding of another, another man, and that's dangerous. We'll be subject to God's judgment. Uh, but a consequence that we may not really think of, um, consider that purse of ten coins that the woman originally had. It's not worth nearly as much if one coin is missing, is it? It's not. The value has gone down. The influence and capability of nine coins in the market is not going to be as high. The value will go down. And our value and contribution to one another and the world here as a church becomes weaker as a whole if we let each other fall away. We lose each other. And then continuing in Luke chapter 15, there's another example, the lost sons. And I say sons, I say plural, and we'll see why in a moment here. So continuing, uh, verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. So here's a guy that had everything. He, he clearly rebelled. He didn't want to follow his father's rules. Um, and so he took off. Or maybe it wasn't so much rebellion or disrespect in his heart. as much. Maybe he just saw something in the world that appealed to him. He was like the lost sheep, and he kind of ran off to it uh, blindly. Um, this son is a picture of a believer that doesn't want the rules of discipline that comes with God's authority. Right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have wandered off. Continuing in verse 14. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him to the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. So now the consequence of rebellion here and forsaking God, you're going to lose the only entity that actually cares about you, aside from your parents, if you're that lucky. And additionally here, Jesus painted the picture that God will allow this to happen to us as a form of discipline in a teachable moment. If you forsake God, you will eventually lose. We know this. Had the son waited too long, there really might not have been a father or a house to come back to or if he strayed too far. What if there was no house to come back to? What if he couldn't find his way back? But in this case, he did come to his senses and he did return. Let's continue in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. And that ending there sounds similar to the lost sheep and the lost coin. But this is the point where we have just met another backslider, or we're about to, in 25. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he came angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has now been found. The older son didn't get it. His heart was not like his father's. He embodies that self-righteous, prideful individual that compares himself with others and feels that he deserves something from the one who's given him everything to begin with. He doesn't recognize his situation as the undeserved mercy of God that he receives himself. And the older brother represents those that try to justify their actions and feelings to God, even though they know that God feels differently. He's also a person that appears righteous on the outside, but is completely in that backsliding state on the inside. There's consequences. Notice, the younger brother humbly came home and entered the party. Wasn't necessarily right, but he came to his senses, he came home, he entered the party. Where was the older brother at the end of this story? He was still outside. At least that's what we can see here. So is he the worst of the backsliders, you might ask? Consider this. Every time you wish something bad on someone else, or maybe you feel some kind of negative way um, towards people when good things happen to them and you feel they don't deserve it, when that happens, you are essentially rejecting the very heart of God and Jesus you are basically uh, showing your contempt for what we celebrate when we take the Lord's Supper. That undeserved mercy and helping hand of God. And that's a scary perspective because I think we've all been there at some point or the other. And that is not the God that we serve. Some other consequences that may relate to your situation. You can potentially kill your reputation by associating with the wrong crowd. And we've seen that. You're taking part in questionable conversation will ultimately result in the wrong person hearing it. Now, I know that's happened to me before. Whatever you say at the worst possible time, the wrong person is going to hear it. And using horrible language is perfectly acceptable in this world until somebody finds out that you call yourself a Christian. Have you ever noticed that? You can curse all you want, and people are cool with that. But the second you show that you're a Christian or even... Or even give the impression that you take your Christianity seriously, all of a sudden they think something's wrong with you, and now you're a hypocritical weirdo. Right? One, one minute you were normal, and now you're, you're way less. You have to be careful. Backsliding can mentally or physically turn people away, including your brothers and sisters, and then you're subject to judgment. 
And you also might be called out or embarrassed if you let your backsliding go too far. And that might have happened to some people. I, Wes knows this. Whenever I backslide a little bit, my wife is like a nuclear siren who lets me know real fast. Right? And we shouldn't get to that point. Jesus called out the Pharisees and reminded them of their hearts in Luke chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Backsliding hurts other people. That's another huge consequence that we don't necessarily think about. Consider Jonah's rebellion when he was backsliding from God. He tried to run. And before the whole fish thing happened, God sent a great storm. And did that impact everybody else on the boat? It did. Have you ever known anybody with an addiction that can truly say it's their problem alone and doesn't impact anyone else? You can't. And I remember, I don't know if, any, if many of you know this, I used to teach in an alternative high school part-time. Uh, very troubled kids. It was like holidays were just a horrible time for them. But any time a parent, and, and sometimes these parental figures really weren't there, any time a parent backslid a little bit, any time there was just a small little step back, it was like an avalanche when they came back to school, if they came back to school. Our actions do impact other people. And finally, for consequences, God is going to punish you. And it's because he loves you that much. You don't know what it is. You may not know when. You may not know how bad it is, but it's coming. And that is something that we are guaranteed of. The whole Old Testament was like one giant backslide, if you, if you read through it. Uh, how many times did severe consequences happen and Israelites just kind of ignored it or they forgot? And we had that example before us. Are we any better? Amen. Revelation 2.5 says, Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Scary stuff. But there is good news. There's a cure and there's a recovery process to this. Jeremiah 3.22. And I'm going to, this version I'm going to read is the King James Version because of the language. I like it here. Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. God wants to help. And the first step to this solution and the recovery process is actually very similar to most that you'll hear out in the world. Number one. You need to identify and acknowledge your current condition. Revelation 2.5, again, remember from where you have fallen. Even if you don't recognize your condition, ignorance isn't going to help you here, there are still consequences to this problem. Consider cancer, a huge epidemic that we're dealing with right now. If you're not aware that you have cancer, does it mean that you won't be affected by it? And the answer to that is obviously no. Your condition is going to get worse if you don't address it, whether you know it or not. And this is the same way. Your best bet is to examine yourself regularly, get your regular cancer screenings, so that these small backslides don't lead you down to the bottom of the hill. Much like we are instructed to do, examine ourselves with the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, 29. So the first one, identify and acknowledge the current condition. Number two, meditate on Christ, God, their work, and their examples. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we read, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. We are not stuck to Christ. We actually need to hang on to him. And we need to consider him regularly to maintain our connection. The cure for sickness is not going to happen at once. Right? It's not going to happen the second we start a treatment plan. It's going to happen after we maintain proper living within that treatment plan. It's going to take some time. There's no instant fix. We have to change something in order to recover. Let's consider the model that Jesus proposed in his parables. The prodigal son met his consequences and came to his senses after he remembered life within his father's house. And then, once he examined himself further, he took action. So that brings us to number three. We need to return to and communicate with God in the cure and recovery process. When the lost son came back, his father was really excited to see him. In fact, he ran to him. In James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We should not hesitate to pray as this communication might have avoided our backsliding in the first place. And in fact, it's recommended to us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. Or your version might say, pray continually. One of the shorter verses in the Bible. And then at this point, we're ready to repent during our return. Notice the lost son humbly came back confessing his guilt with a repentant heart. It is doubtful that the father would have responded in the way that he did in that loving manner had the son been as rebellious as he was when he first left. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, Revelation 2.5 again reminds us to repent and do the things you did at first before we were backsliding. Remember that. And if our heart is right, God will welcome us with open arms and celebrate our return. And we will be restored with him just as he told his people in Zechariah 1.3. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. So we need to repent. And number five, we need to take steps to avoid backsliding while we solve this problem and while we recover Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Pay close attention to your relationship with God and matters of the heart. Let's not overemphasize the do's and don'ts of Christianity. Right? This is a path we're walking, and if you worry about what's on your left, right, the left and the right, if you worry about that too much, you're not going to end up walking the path at all. You have to really focus on God. And, and look at your relationship with God and, and try not to... It's going to come out wrong if I say it that way. Instead, try to look at God's example and try to be like him rather than look at every little technical aspect of your life all at once. Otherwise, we become frustrated and disengaged. James 4, 7 says, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to try to avoid situations that we know are going to tempt us. And if we are of the mindset, oh, we can handle it, um, we're setting ourselves up for no real gain but potential loss. We should rebuke Satan and stay on track because we're told things will get better. And we should also consider fellowship with our brethren so that we don't stray too far from the flock. I know this is important for me. And finally, Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We should pray and be mindful of the Holy Spirit. Let Him guide us and empower us throughout the day. We should give it a serious shot. Give it a try. It will work. Some final considerations on this. One last note on backslide. What if it's not us, so we think? What if it's somebody else that we know? We need to follow the example 
that God has given us so that we don't backslide ourselves. Galatians 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. We need to be guarded. And also like the father of the prodigal son in the parable. We need to avoid lashing out from anger or frustration or the hurt that we feel. And we need to pray for these people and ourselves humbly and lovingly. And we need to encourage them so that we don't push them away because when we do, we've lost them and we'll be judged. We can't let them further stumble. This is a true challenge that we do have to deal with. Maybe you are in or recovering from a backslidden state. Maybe you have other concerns. In any case, it's pretty clear from God's word that he wants us to address these with him, address these concerns with him, and work together to build each other up and pray for each other. Maybe you haven't committed that to that relationship with God where you can repent and be restored, as the example shows. But the process is similar. Confess, repent, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you will be a child of God that can actually have hope. And Acts 2.38 does spell that out. Brothers, what shall we do? You have absolutely nothing of value to lose, but everything to gain. Whatever the need is, we invite you at this time to come forward as we stand and sing.